All right. Well, we are um, we're wrapping up summer, which is so sad to me. Um, I mean, I'm ready for my kids to go back to school, but I'm also not ready to make lunches. Man, that bums me out. Um, <laughs> my life's really hard. We're talking about suffering today. Um, <laughs> oh, goodness. Um, so we're in our last two weeks of this series, Transformed, Not Conformed. And if you haven't been with us, we're talking about the world tries to conform us to its beliefs, to its values, to how to live, how to think. And Scripture tells us specifically in Romans 12 that we're not to be conformed to the ways of this world, but we're to be transformed. The renewing of our minds to be transformed uh, by God's word, by God's spirit. Um, so we've been looking at some different things that we think are pretty relevant um, in our society right now, questions that we need to consider and think through. So today we're, we're talking about suffering. We're talking about evil. Um, uh, a major objection for a lot of people is if God is all-loving, if God is all-powerful, then how can there be so much suffering? How can there be so much evil in this world? And I'm sure that that's not just a question you've heard people outside the church ask, but for many of us, this is a question that, that you've asked yourself as, as you've gone through hard, hard things in life. If it's a question you haven't asked yet, it's a question you need to wrestle through uh, for your own faith. Uh, why would a God who is love let, let some of these things happen? This is an important question to, to strengthen our hearts and our minds, our faith in Christ um, for ourselves and, and for helping others as well. So our aim today is to have Scripture inform and transform our thinking and beliefs in this way, the way that we live out this life together. So we had some discussion as a staff um, when we first were looking at, at this, um, this question. I think we had it worded something like, why would God allow suffering? Why would God allow evil? And there's this discussion, should we use allow or, or permit um, versus cause or ordain? And in, in Scripture, um, it describes it both ways. It describes that, that, that God, uh, God ordains hard, hard things, even evil things, right? We look at the cross, right? Jesus, this is God's plan from eternity, that, that Jesus would be crucified for us, right? That is, a, that is an evil thing that happened, and yet God was using it for our good. And then we look at stories like Job, which is such a strange book, and, and, and there we see God permitting, God allowing Satan to do some stuff. And we also see uh, the other side of it, too, that, that God is in some of that as well. So the Bible talks about it both ways. So today, I will talk about it in both ways. Um, but what's helped me think through that, because it's, it's hard to hear that, that God would, would ordain or cause. Um, it, maybe it's easier for you to hear God would permit suffering or allow suffering. Um, but what's helped me to think through it is, is whether God ordains it or permits it, it is by his design, and God is good, and he is doing it for our good. We can trust that our God is good. If you do not know yet that God is good, I really hope that you will come to know that. I'm not sure if there's something that is more anchoring for me in my faith 
than knowing and trusting that God is good no matter what is happening in my life. So whether he permits it or, 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 or ordains it, we know that it's by his design and that he is good. And I just want to pray before uh, we go any further. Lord, um, I look around this room, and, and I certainly don't know every story, but I know a lot of stories. I know a lot of heartache in this place, Jesus. And um, I, I pray for our hearts, Lord, that, that we would be able to, to come to you right now, to the altar, and that we would put all of ourselves up on that altar, including our heart that is sometimes so fragile, or that we would trust that you are a good God, that, that you are so good and that you're working all of these things in life that, uh, that at times are so confusing, you're working them for our goods so that will be made more and more to be like your son, Jesus. We pray these things in your name. Amen. So the world is uh, it's a strange place in that it is so beautiful, um, and yet there's also simultaneously so much suffering, so much evil, so, so many wrong and, and terrible things. I love where we get to live. I love the Pacific Northwest. I love, in, in the spring and summer especially, I just feel like I'm confronted with the beauty of our world daily, right? We can, in, in a couple hours, we can drive out to the ocean, or, or we can drive up to Mount Hood, or, or, or out to the gorge, or even the trails around the lake. Like, they're, they're so, so close. I went hiking with uh, some friends uh, just recently, and, and we were hiking along this creek, um, and it was just gorgeous, absolutely gorgeous. And then we came to this pool of water, like there's this waterfall cascading down this pool, and as the sun was coming over, you could see how deep it was, and just crystal clear pool. And I, I just wanted to swim in it. Like it was so pristine, I'm like, I have to get into this water, and I was waiting for it to warm up a bit. Finally, it did. My friend jumped in. I jumped in. It was freezing. I was screaming like a, like a little kid, shivering for a long time, but it was just beautiful. And yet, we also know that, that this world has terrible things happen in it every day. It isn't hard to pick something that, that we can just be disgusted by. Uh, that, that, that miscarriages exist, that, that there are people around the globe that are dying of starvation, uh, human trafficking. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. There are things in this world that, that if, we, if we knew the full truth about them, it, it would make us sick to our stomach. Even just this last week in Lackamas Lake here, 14-year-old boy drowned. I don't know if you heard about that or not. He was, he was supposed to go to Union High School this next year. And I've just been thinking about his parents. And like, this is their first Sunday without their son. You know, they're, they're, they're going into this school year and, and their, son's, their son's not there. And I don't know anything about them. I don't know if they know Jesus. I, I don't know anything. But, but we, it is so weird how we live in a place where there's such beauty and, and simultaneously, even in the exact same space, there can be such pain. 55.3 million people die every year around the world. That comes out to about 6,300 people dying every hour. You multiply that by just two or three, and that's, that's at least how many people are mourning the loss of someone that they loved. And yet, babies are being born all the time. Right? We have multiple babies that are, moms are hoping they're coming really quick here, and not in the service hopefully, but soon. Um, 
people land their dream job. Every day that happens. People get engaged. People find out they're pregnant. People get into this, this or that program that they've been working towards. We, we live in a world of beauty and suffering everywhere at the same time. We're going to be in Romans 8 if you want to turn there. Romans 8 is uh, it, it's my favorite chapter of the Bible. Um, like, it, like, like if I could only have one page of my Bible, this would be the page. And I'm not saying like it's enough, like we need all of Scripture, but I'm just saying this, this chapter is, uh, it, it is incredible, it's beautiful. We're going to start in verse 16. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we, we may also be glorified with him. And, and there's some things you might notice immediately here, that, that, that our suffering is with Christ is somehow also connected to being glorified with him. So we look at this and we hear suffering, that, that sounds like bad news, and that is bad news. But there's also good news here. But first, the bad news, every Christian will suffer. There's no way around that. There's no, there's no uh, option for like a Christian light without suffering. Every Christian will experience suffering. All Jesus followers ought to expect that we will experience at least some amount of suffering. Jesus said things like this in uh, John 15, 20. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. It said in John 16, 33, in this world you will have trouble or tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. 2 Timothy 3.12 says, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ will be persecuted. And now our passage in Romans is not just talking about suffering through persecution, but we are to expect that there will be suffering. We don't walk around like Eeyore from Winnie the Pooh with a cloud over our head saying, Woe is me. But it does mean that we shouldn't be shocked when we face difficulty. And too many Christians in America are surprised when hard circumstances come in life. And maybe, maybe you, like me at different times in your faith, have bought into to adding that to the gospel, that, that if I know Jesus, if I follow him, if I go to church sometimes, if I read my Bible a bit, that my life should be pretty smooth and that I really shouldn't have to deal with much. That's a lie that is meant to bring us great discouragement because you will go through suffering. Trusting in Jesus doesn't make life easy, but it, it does mean he saves you for eternity. It does mean, like Jan said, that you are his child. It does mean that you ultimately have nothing to fear because of the security that you have in God. But Christians know that we will suffer. When you know something is coming, uh, you shouldn't be as caught off guard. right? You, you should be somewhat prepared. Uh, a good coach does this with their team. A good coach prepares the basketball team for, for a full-court press that's going to come late in the game when it's tight. A good coach prepares the baseball team that's, that hasn't been behind all season for that time when they're behind in the bottom of the ninth with the playoffs on the line so that they'll keep a level head, so that they won't panic, so that they'll stick to their game plan. First Peter 4.12 says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, 
as though something strange were happening to you. So how do you respond to suffering? Do you ask, why me? Because when we suffer, our heart is, is exposed. It's revealed in really good ways. But then we also see some, some ugly ways too. When you suffer, do you get angry? What's the anger about? Because we tend to get angry when, when we see that something isn't right or fair. So I wonder if we're ever saying, this shouldn't be happening to me, I'm a good person, or, or I fill in the blank for this reason that it, it shouldn't happen to you. Does your suffering ever make you thankful for what you do have? I recently heard about a Christian man uh, when he was about 30 years old, his mother died in a, in a just tragic car accident. He got the phone call. He went into his room and, and just began weeping. Um, and, and yet he said, at the same time, God, God brought into his mind this gratefulness for what he had in his mom for 30 years. And he started praying, thanking God for, for the amazing mother that, that she was, that, that she loved the Lord, that she loved his dad, that she loved her boys so well. Does your suffering make you grateful for all the blessings that God has given you? Does your suffering help you look to God? Because when we suffer, we, we generally realize, or hopefully you realize, how little control you actually have in life. And I think that's by God's design to help us look to him, the one who is in control. Jackie Hill Perry, who I shared about, I think, two or three weeks ago, uh, in her story, she, she recognizes that God, whether it's permitted or ordained, there was really hard stuff in her life. And what that did was it caused her to look to God, someone that she'd ignored most of her life. She sees the difficulties in her life as God's grace reaching in so that she would look to him. Make no mistake, Christians, that God uses suffering for our good. We can trust in that. I love that God never wastes pain. He uses all of it. And even if, you, even if you've never heard anything like that before, like we see in life that, that hardship produces good things. You'd be hard-pressed to think of a team in sports that didn't have to first endure hardship, that didn't have to endure failure. Teams will talk about the difficulty that they had to go through for seasons until they were finally able to break through and win the championship. Or you hear stories, no matter the industry, it could be a musician, a business person, whatever, and in their greatness, they talk about how hard life was and how it forged them into the person that they had become. James tells us, count it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds. Pure joy. Why? How, how can James say that? It's because he says that the trials of your faith produce steadfastness. And he says when that takes full effect, it, it works in you that you may become perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So our trials, our suffering, our hardship, they grow us. And it doesn't mean, obviously, that we go looking for suffering. You might go look for a challenge, but you don't look to suffer, and yet we know God uses it. When you plant um, 
a young tree, you, you'll often see people put supports next to that tree and then uh, tether those supports. And, and that's good for a time, um, but you don't want to keep those supports there too long because it's actually critical that the tree experiences some, some wind when it's, when it's still immature because it causes those roots to grow down so that it can support that tree through the windstorm. So if you keep those supports up too long, until the tree looks like it's good and healthy and strong and then take those away, there's a good chance that that first major windstorm is going to knock that tree right down. All that to say, we will suffer and God will be faithful to use every ounce of our suffering. Um, that's bad news that we're going to suffer. And yet even within that, there's, there's good news that God is there and that he will use it. Here's more good news. One is that we, will, we, we suffer with him. And two is that in our suffering, we'll be glorified with him. We, we do not suffer alone, Christians. It might feel like it, but we do not suffer alone. It's sad to me um, how many people I talk to today that feel so lonely. Even though uh, because of technology, our world is in some ways better connected than ever. This generation growing up is probably the most connected generation ever. They can have hundreds, even thousands of followers on, on social media, and yet so many young people report being so lonely today, even when they're with other people. But Christians, God promises us his presence. Christ fathers, we're guaranteed that you'll never suffer alone when you suffer in dependence on Jesus. When you suffer for the glory of Christ, it is a suffering with Christ. I've talked many times about my friend who drowned several years ago. And I was, I was just a few hundred yards away, just a couple bends around the river. Uh, two other guys, two other friends that I have, uh, went in trying to save him and almost drowned themselves. It's a miracle that, that they were able to get out of that water. I was there within a few minutes uh, of, of my friend going down in the water, and, and I, I couldn't, we couldn't, we didn't have a clue where he was. I mean, we could not tell where he might be. We were looking all over the place. Um, I had nightmares for weeks about his death, and, and, and the part that was hardest for me was, was him just dying alone down there. And then um, at one point, I, I realized that God was with him. I mean, he, he I couldn't be down there with him, and I wouldn't have done him any good, but God was with him, and I have no idea what kind of comfort Christ brought my friend in his last moments on this earth, but I realized that even there, my friend was not alone. Jesus was with him. So Christians, even if you're physically alone, you are never without Jesus. Even in your worst suffering, you have Christ with you. You have the only one that you don't have to explain anything to, and he gets it. He gets you. In fact, he understands what you think and feel better than you do. In Jesus, you never do anything alone, including suffering. He says, provided we suffer with him. And, and the provided doesn't mean that, that we have to like reach this threshold of suffering. Right? He's saying, if, we, if you're a Christian, if we suffer with him, um, we don't have to seek it. It will happen. If you're a believer, there will be suffering. And then he says that we'll be glorified with him. We won't just see the glory of Christ, which is amazing. We'll get more into that. But we'll be made glorious. We are destined to be glorified with Christ. Let's go to verse 18. For I considered that the sufferings of this present time, or, or the sufferings in this life, 
um, are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Right? So he takes our suffering, and he's not diminishing it in any way. And he's saying that your suffering in this present life, it isn't even worth comparing to what we have coming to the, the glory that will be revealed, to seeing Jesus in glory, to being glorified ourselves, to inheriting with Christ as heirs, like it said a couple verses up. And, and what we inherit, I don't know if you think about this much, but what we inherit is everything, right? It's, it's, it's all over Scripture. He just says all things. Romans 4.31, he says, Abraham and his offspring, with it, which is us, those who believe in Jesus, he says, will be heirs of the world. 1 Corinthians 3.21 and following, he, just, he says all things are yours. Later in Romans chapter 8, he, he tells us all things will be yours. Jesus said, blessed are the meek, they shall inherit the world. Right? In Christ, we inherit everything. And while I don't fully know what that means, I know what he's trying to communicate. One theologian put it this way. He said, everything will serve us. Everything will be at our disposal someday. Nothing will be outside our purview, and nothing will be our enemy. So this is how Paul can tell us that this suffering isn't even worth comparing. It's, it's, if it were on a scale, it would be like this. So he's not saying that our suffering isn't bad. He's saying how good it is what those who know and trust Jesus have coming for them in their future. He goes on, verse 19, for the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it. So who's the him? The next two words tell us here. In hope, right? That tells us it was, it was God that did this. In hope that the creation itself would be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. His language there is great. Obviously, I've never given birth to a kid, but I've been there three times. Right? There, there's groaning. There uh, can be yelling and screaming. There is pain. Right? I remember at the birth of one of our children, I just basically said, what do you need, babe? And, and it was, I'm trying to help her through contractions, and there weren't words at that moment. There's a grabbing of my hand and a squeezing it, and it was my, my ring hand, right? So I had a metal ring at that point, and my fingers were getting pressed against that ring like you wouldn't believe. But I was wise enough not to say, babe, that hurts. So, labor goes for hours. It is brutal. I don't know that experientially, but I observed it is hard. And then there's a baby, and the room changes. Because now you're, you're holding your own, right? This, this little person that, that you've been singing to and, and, and praying for and, and talking with, you're holding them now. And that pain was terrible. But now there is joy, and I think that's why he uses this language here. He goes on. He says, and not only, this is verse 23, not only uh, the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption as sons, 
the redemption of our bodies. So creation's waiting for the present suffering to end. Not just humanity, but, but creation, Paul tells us, for God's children to be revealed and glorified. We wait for the redemption of our bodies. Right? Can I get an amen there? <laughs> I, yeah, anyway, it's going to be good. I don't know what it'll be, but it'll be good. From that day forward, there will be no more suffering. And, and, and my brain can hardly even imagine that. There'll be no more cancer, no more miscarriages, no abuse, no loss, no physical pain, no emotional strife, no more, man, I remember when my body could do this or that. All that will be done one day for those who are in Christ. Let's keep going. Verse 24. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Paul's talking about a hope that's true, a hope that, that is real, a hope that is a done deal. It is certain. He doesn't use the word hope like you and I probably do every day, right? Like, I hope I have a good day, or I hope I nail the interview, or I hope the Blazers can win a title before I die, right? Those are all things that we say, but we have no guarantee. That we do have a chance. But we have no guarantee with any of those things. That's not how Paul uses hope. The hope that Paul writes about is already determined by God. Everything necessary has happened. We don't see it yet. We don't see our freedom yet. We don't see the redemption of our bodies yet. We don't see our full adoption yet. So we wait, and we wait patiently. We wait, and we endure hardship. We endure suffering that comes in life. I've never done this before, but we, we've all heard about or seen, or maybe you've done this, like where you, you camp out like overnight for like concert tickets or, uh, or, or sporting events, or maybe this doesn't even happen because of the internet now, I don't know, maybe not. But, but there was a time when people would do this, or for like the opening of Chick-fil-A, I remember people did this around the country, right? So they, they come and they come ready. They're gonna be there for like a day or two days. So they come, they've got camping chairs, they got tents, they have, they have mattresses to sleep on. They have all kinds of food. They got a cooler. They've got drinks. They've got, if it's super cold out, they've got portable heaters. Like, whatever they need to, they, they set up camp and they patiently wait because they believe what they're waiting for is worth it. Right? The, the temperatures, the, the sleeping on concrete, having to walk to a long ways to go to a bathroom, not being able to shower for days. They, they've decided that the pain is worth the reward. And Jesus followers, the reward of following Jesus is great. So we wait. We endure hardship. We endure suffering. We suffer through diagnoses. Diagnoses, sorry. We mourn losses. We navigate unfair circumstances. We wait for our Lord to do what he has already made sure. That the adoption as his own will come to fruition, that our bodies will be redeemed, that the pains of this world will be gone. We wait. And like I said before, we do not do this alone. Verse 26, likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. The Spirit helps us because we are weak. He says we don't even know how to pray. I often catch myself praying something like I'm telling God how he should do it, and then I realize what I'm doing. I just say, Lord, I don't know what I need. I just know it's you. The Spirit doesn't struggle with uninformed prayers. 
The Holy Spirit prays with groanings that are too deep for words, too sophisticated, too complicated for words. People of God, we are not on our own. God has given us the Holy Spirit who resides in us, who prays for us. Even when we don't know what to pray, we don't know how to pray as this world is hitting us from, from all kinds of different angles. When we can't figure out which way is up and which way is down, we don't even know how to pray, and yet the Holy Spirit knows. Right? Maybe, maybe you felt like that before. Maybe felt like, like the circumstances around your family, it's, it, it is such a mess. And you've been fighting and working for years to fix things and to bring health. You've even gotten professionals involved, and they're just scratching their heads too. They, they don't know what to do. They're at their wit's end. When we don't even know how to pray, the Holy Spirit does. Verse 27, and he searches, or he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Praise the Lord for that. Verse 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. So he just told us we don't know how to pray. But now he says we do know something that's very, very important. We know that God is working everything out for our good. If you're in Jesus, you can rest assured that God is at work. He is in everything. Good circumstances and really bad circumstances, hard circumstances, circumstances that, that tempt you to, to total and utter despair. God is in those circumstances, and he's working, and we can trust him. Do you trust that God is good? Do you trust that he works all things for your good? Later on in the chapter, in verse 35, he said, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation? No. Shall distress? Nope. Or persecution, no. Famine, no. Nakedness, no. Danger, no. Sword, no. As it is written for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. <laughs> right? that, that's how we're regarded, as a bunch of sheep lined up just to be killed. So Paul, when he says all things, he means all things. Cancer, job loss, broken relationships, getting scammed, false accusations, whatever it is, He's working all things for the good of you, Jesus follower. He doesn't waste anything at all. He uses every ounce of joy and every ounce of pain. What's the good that he's talking about here? Verses 29 and 30. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. Right? We're going to be conformed. We're going to be glorified with Christ, conformed to him physically, spiritually conformed, morally conformed to him. Like, there will be a day. We'll be so conformed to Jesus, we will sin no more. How unbelievable is that? He goes on. He says, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. Those whom he called, he justified. Those whom he justified, he also glorified. Now, I know that um, for some people in church, you hear that word predestined, and that's a, that maybe is a trigger word for you, and you wish it wasn't in the Bible. It is in the Bible. God talks about us being predestined in too many places for us to, to say that we aren't. And, and I think I get why maybe you don't like that word, but let me give you one reason to like it. God is conforming you in, into the image 
of his son, Jesus. And that's been the plan for you for all eternity. That's been his purposeful plan. So I'm sure we don't understand everything that it means when, when, when he says we're predestined. I'm sure there's a lot that we don't understand, but we do know that God is good. And since that is the case, we can have confidence and we can trust that however predestination works, it means that, that we have a God that is good in predestining and is good for us. Verse 30 this is what he says. Remember this. He says, those whom he predestined. So this is how he describes the predestined. Those whom he predestined, he called. Those whom he called, he justified. Those whom he justified, he also glorified. It, it, it is good that, that we are called to him. It is good that we are justified by the blood of Jesus, that by grace we're justified, and that the justified are glorified. So Christians this is great news that God in our suffering and, and everything else too, but in our suffering, God is at work. And it's good work that he is doing, work that is good beyond our comprehension. Remember verse 18, for I considered that the sufferings of this present time aren't worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Right? The, the, the suffering that we're going through, whatever it is, however deep the pain is, it doesn't even compare to what will be revealed. Right? We, we do not fathom how incredible it will be to see Jesus. Okay? Remember, John, in Revelation, he, he sees Jesus, and what happens? He falls down as though dead. The man cannot move because he's so struck by by seeing Christ, right? There are things in this world that have, um, have stopped me in my tracks or, 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 or have, uh, have stopped the words from coming out of my mouth. Some sunsets, some, some vistas. There have been drives I've been on. I've just turned the corner. I've just thought, oh my goodness, that's amazing. But man, someday we'll see Jesus. And, and I'm pretty sure that John wasn't a weirdo the way that, that he responded to seeing Christ. We'll, we'll see Christ and we'll be blown away. This suffering doesn't compare to that. It, it, it doesn't compare to a life in perfect union with the Creator. It doesn't compare to our bodies being redeemed. It doesn't compare to an existence without pain or sorrow or grief. It doesn't compare, so we wait in Jesus. We have much to look forward to, Christians. Verse 28 again, and we know that for those uh, who love God, all things work together for good. So God is using all things, including suffering the lives of his children for good. But what about those who do not trust in Jesus? There's probably multiple things that we could talk here, but one reason, one reason that, that, that God brings or allows suffering for you if you have not trusted in Jesus is so that you'll look to him. Like I shared about with Jackie Hill Perry earlier, he, he, he uses hard, even terrible circumstances so that you'll turn to God and to be saved. And I can imagine if you don't know Jesus, you, you could hear me say that and that might make you mad. But think of it this way. If you were on the road and, and you, you had your earbuds in and you're looking at your phone, and you're crossing the street um, and, and you're kind of oblivious. You're rocking out to whatever song that, that you just love. And at the same time, there's someone driving an F-150 barreling down the road, and they don't see you because of the glare in the window. But fortunately for you, there's a person that's nearby, and they see everything that's going on, but there's not much time. So what they do is they dive. They tackle you to get you out of harm's way. 
and you hit the ground and there's, there's road rash. I mean, you're, you're bleeding. You, you, you've hurt your shoulder. You're going to be limping for months, maybe years. The person that tackled you, they're hurt too. They're bruised. They're battered. They're bleeding. But, but was it worth it? Well, yes. It was absolutely worth it. You would have been flattened by that truck. God is completely willing for you to go through really hard things in order so that you would look to him and be saved. Is God trying to get your attention? What will it take for you to take notice? Christians, I want to end with this verse. 2 Corinthians 4.17 For this light, momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Again, beyond all comparison. Now what we probably notice there is that he calls it light, momentary affliction. But before we even get to that, notice that he says it's preparing us, right? God is using it. But let's get to the light momentary affliction. Our suffering doesn't feel light or momentary. And again, though, Paul is weighing it with eternity. Not, not just the length of eternity, but the glory of what we have coming in eternity. I, I heard an interview with um, an NFL player several years ago. He, uh, I believe he was on the offensive line. Um, he played multiple games with a broken ankle. I don't, I'm not saying fractured. I mean broken ankle. So they taped it up. You know, they, they had whatever kind of support around it. I'm sure they were shooting him up with, with things to help him uh, not feel as much as possible. And yet he still felt tons and tons of pain. He was, he was functioning in a professional football game on a broken ankle. And so the interviewer just said, how did you do that? Like, that's crazy. And, and he said, well, the average NFL play, I realize, lasts four seconds. Now, if you're not a football person, so average NFL game takes three hours and 12 minutes, or at least last year it did. In that time, only 11 minutes our actual gameplay. <laughs> it sounds dumb. If you're anti-football, this is like your rallying cry. Um, so there's 11 minutes. So the clock can run a ton when no actual football activity is going on. So, so he, he was thinking about that. And he said, okay, four seconds, four seconds. Now, the average, uh, the average offense runs somewhere between like 60 and about 80 plays per game. So he's thinking, okay, in my position, I'm not even in for all 60 or 80 plays. Like I'm in for like 40 or maybe 50 plays per game. So he, he, he thought, man, four seconds. I can, I can take any kind of pain for four seconds at a time. That's no problem. He said, I just had to convince myself that I could do that 40 times in a game. And, and we hear that, and part of you like, that guy's crazy, right? That's okay to admit that. Um, but also, there was a total logic there. Right? He's like, it's, it's a blip. Four seconds goes like that. Now Paul's telling us, this, this world, it's light, momentary affliction. He isn't saying that, that the suffering in this world isn't horrific, but he's telling us how great the inheritance is because he compares it to eternity. He compares it to the, the weight of eternal glory. He compares it to seeing Jesus, to being adopted as his own he compares it to being freed from all our pain and sorrow, being freed from sin and temptation. He compares it to our, our bodies being redeemed. He says it's light and momentary. And it may not feel like that right now to us, but God, through his word, tells us, you just wait. You'll see. Let's pray. 
Jesus, we, uh, we love you, Lord. It, it is it, it's unfathomable, God, to think about an existence someday with, without pain, without sorrow, without grief. It, it, it's crazy to think that there will be a day when, when we, we won't sin. We won't even be tempted by sin. That, that we will we'll be with you. We'll be dwelling with our God. This, this thing that you've been doing will come to fruition, Lord. God, I know that my brothers and my sisters in here, some of them have already endured great pain, Lord. Great pain. Uh, some have not yet experienced some great pain. And yet, Lord, we know that we can wait in you. That we, we, we suffer not on our own, but we suffer with you. That you're using that suffering, preparing us for what is coming, where we will be glorified with you, God. We thank you that you are good. We thank you that you use all things, Lord, for our good that you're making us more and more like Christ. Lord, would you help us to trust those words? God, would you help us to trust the, the truth of, of this passage and, and of all of Scripture, Lord? Jesus, we love you. It is in your holy name that we pray. Amen.